Loving, loving Sai Ram, Brother P.V. Shankar, the Sri Satya Sai Global Council, West Indies, lovingly welcomes you to the series, Awake, Unite and Inspire. We are extremely happy, fortunate and blessed to have you as our guest on our series, Awake, Unite and Inspire. So, Brother Shankar, share with us, how did you first come into contact with our beloved Mother Sai? Well, first of all, I want to offer my humblest salutations at the lotus feet of our omnipresent Lord Bhagavan Sri Satya Sai Baba. And also my loving Sairam to everybody from Trinidad who have watching this. And of course, uh, Brother Fais, as I, I still remember the wonderful time we had together uh, when you visited Tustin Center. You stayed with us. You gave two brilliant talks. And it was such a pleasure. As, as I mentioned earlier, you're like a long-lost brother to me. So I'm looking forward to this. Coming to your question, how did I come into contact with Bhagwan? We do not come into contact with him. He comes into contact with us because everything happens by the will of God. And it is not just this birth. Like in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says to Arjuna, you and I have been together in so many births. I remember them. You don't. So it is Swami who came into my life. Uh, the memory I have in this birth. And there are two instances I want to share. The first instance is when he came to me when I didn't even know who Sai is. Just the name Sai was there. He entered my life. And then later, two years later, I learned more about him, read a book written by him. I'll talk about it a little later. So <clears throat> I was 19 years old. I was a young, a rebellious uh, teenager who did not want to believe uh, anything unless I had a personal experience of it. I neither disbelieved nor believed. I was kind of agnostic. But I had great interest in spirituality, philosophy. And uh, I was at that time at the first year of my master's. Uh, my father had retired and I had visited him almost at the same time, December of 1967. On 29th of December 67, my father and I in our ancestral village, we went for a walk. Uh, it was two kilometers one way and back four kilometers. And as we were coming back, my father experienced a chest pain, a severe chest pain. He literally collapsed on the road. We were two blocks from my home. So I immediately asked someone to get the doctor, our family doctor who lives close by. And it took us half hour to traverse the two, two blocks to go home. The doctor came, examined him, and then he took me aside and said, Shankar, your father is, just had his third heart attack. It could 
become fatal. So I want you to go immediately to the neighboring town to get an oxygen cylinder because those days the village was so primitive there was no facilities there. Then I went to my father that I'm going to go bring the oxygen cylinder. My father said, why don't you go to the neighboring village 10 miles from where we were, my aunt, because my father lost both his parents. She brought him up. He said, go in and inform her, put her on a bus to come here, and you go to the town and bring the oxygen cylinder. And then he held my hand. He said, Shankar, I don't know whether I will see you again. If anything happens to me, take care of your mother. So I wanted to go to my aunt's, uh, grand aunt's village, but then I had missed the bus. So I literally, the, there was a shortcut to go by five miles through the hills and marshy land and the river. I had to wade through up to, up to the chest water coming. I went and informed. While I was going there, this is a teenager, 19 years old. My father perhaps could be in his last moments. I didn't know who to turn to. And I don't have faith in God. I had only faith in myself. And I don't know. At that instant, something miraculous happened. Some inspiration, a voice within gave me a prayer. Of course, it is in Tamil. In order to make it authentic, I would like to share the Tamil verse. Some people may understand. If it's okay with you, then I will translate it in English. This was a surrealistic experience that prayer came and the prayer goes like this. It's a four-line prayer. Ninnadi saranana ninaindunai urhi Yunir Namam Idayara Darindi Manuyuralam Ninurukana Inne Arulwai Yenuir Sai. This is like a poem written in the classical style that like thousands of years ago, like my mother tongue was written. It's not so it came from nowhere and the name Sai was there. And I don't even know who Sai is. What the prayer says is O oh dear Sai, who are closer than the closest in my heart, grant me three boons. The first boon is, let me develop that kind of surrender that I melt in my very bones when I think of you. The second prayer, I should chant, grant me the ability to chant your name incessantly so that I can taste the nectarine sweetness of your name. And the third boon, O oh Lord, give me that wherever I look, I see only you. I don't know where this prayer came from. I started chanting that prayer. Immediately, I became very calm. So I went and told my grandmother, and then I went to the town, got the oxygen cylinder, by the time six hours transpired, I brought the oxygen cylinder in a taxi. As I entered the street of my village, the doctor was waiting for me. He stopped the car and he hugged me and said, Shankar, it's too late. Your father passed away 10 minutes.
months ago. This is the first instant Swami came into my life. But he defined my life that day. He has given me three divine commands. Surrender to Sai, chant his name, see him everywhere. Two years passed. I was studying, doing a second master's in molecular biophysics and molecular biology in Chennai. There was an international conference. Many Nobel laureates had come. And I had two colleagues. Uh, we used to discuss philosophy. So even though this prayer has come, which I keep chanting, whenever I'm down, I chant the prayer, I get peace. So we were discussing philosophy. And then my friend suddenly said, you're so much interested in philosophies of all religions. What if I told you Krishna has come again in human form? When he said that, I was myself shocked the way I responded. I said, I didn't care about Krishna in the first place. Why would I care if I came back again in another form? When my friend was so shocked, I myself was shocked. Then that night, I thought about it. What a foolish remark. Here I am trying to be a scientist. A scientist has to be objective because scientist also is trying to find the truth. So as the rishis and the saints. How can I judge about something without having a first-hand experience? I pride myself that I am non-judgmental. So next day, I went and apologized to him. I said, I am very sorry. I want to know about whoever this person is. He said, this person is Bhagwan Sri Satya Sai Baba. I have a book written by Kasturi, a devotee of him. Would you like to read it? I said, no, I don't want to read or listen to any devotees. They tend to exaggerate. So the audience should take it with a pinch of salt, whatever I say. But I said, I want to know the truth about him from his own writings. Has he written anything? So next day he brought me two books, Jnanavagni and Dhyanavagni. He gave it to me and I was going by train to where I was staying. I opened the book Jnanavagni. The first line I read, just as fog melts before sun, Ignorant melts and disappears in the presence of knowledge. At that very moment, I knew these were the words of my master. These were the words of my God. Swami became my friend, philosopher, guide, father, and everything that moment. This is how Swami came into my life. Brother Shankar, that was so amazing touching and inspiring. I really love the Tamil poem and the translation. It is so powerful, so much of lessons filled with divine splendor. Thank you so much for sharing, brother. And I know over the years, you've had so many wonderful experiences with our beloved Mother Sai. Can you share at least two of the most memorable ones you have had? Sure. Uh, the association with Bhagwan, starting from 1967, in his physical form until 2011, and in his uh, atmic form since he left his physical form, until now it has been going on. 
And there are so many experiences, but I'll just pick two. The first experience I want to share is about the compassion of Sai. The second experience is about the omnipresence of Sai. You see, what is the difference between Sai and the other teachers? There is a huge difference between an avatar and those who have realized God. As Swami has told many times and proved to me that an avatar is an inner resident of our heart. Every experience we have, he is part and parcel of it. There is nothing we think, speak, do is new to him, shocking to him. So, he feels what we feel. He knows our suffering. He knows our joys. He knows our misgivings. He knows the mischievous nature of our mind. So, one has to be extremely fortunate to come into contact. That's why even Sukha Maharishi, who was considered the highest in terms of Atmic consciousness, he came to Parikshit. I said, I want to tell you about Bhagavatam. Because it gives me bliss to talk about Bhagavan Krishna. So Swami is of that caliber. And so that's why when Swami left his physical forms, people started looking for this guru, that guru. I felt very pained. Having tasted nectar, why would you go and settle for petrid and dirty water? Anyway, coming to this experience in Bombay, this happened in 1975. Uh, that was also in December, so it's not a coincidence. So, and Swami at that time, I was in the Bombay Sevadal. I had a thought in my mind. I said, Swami, I have, because the time I read the Jnanavagni, he became God and it never changed. When I met him, it didn't increase, it didn't decrease. Because he is the highest, there is no question about it. And every experience enhanced it. So I was thinking to myself, Swami, you are the avatar. You are God. I have no doubt about it. But I look at myself and look at those around you. We are all part-time devotees. I have no right to talk about others, but unfortunately, I dared to think like that that time. We are all part-time devotees. Where are your real devotees? Give me a taste to see one of your real devotees. So that time Swami brought with him uh, Thirumalachar. He used to be the royal preceptor to the Venkatagiri Maharaja. And he's the one who wrote the Satya Sai Subrabhadam. And he has been with Swami, an outstanding individual. And later on I came to know when he started meditating, he will levitate. This was a problem for him. For us, the problem is to meditate. His problem is to levitate. So Swami helped him calm down. And he was a childlike devotee. When Swami brought him, he said, he gave instruction that I should take care of him. So he fulfilled my prayer and I was taking care of him. And then for his age, he had arthritis. And then he had to get up four times a night 
to go to the bathroom. It was very difficult for him. So I had a bedpan arranged. I helped him with that. And I, he was very happy. And Swami came on a short visit. So many experiences happened, but I want to go to the, cut to the chase and go to the most important experience. There, on the last night, I became uh, feverish, 103, 104 degrees. I was shivering. Every morning, I will have hot water bath ready for Thirmalachar to take bath. So a thought arose in my mind. I'll get up at 3 o'clock and I'll go to... And of course, throughout the night, I cannot sleep because I don't know when he will get up. So I went... I wanted to... I used to take bath in a garden pipe in the back. So a thought arose me. I'm having so much temperature. I'm shivering. Why not go and take a hot shower? Like I'm using it for this Thirmalachar this wonderful devotee of Bhagwan, who used to cry every time Swami walked into the room. Then another thought came to me. Chi Chi, shame on you. You have come here as a servant. You have to play your role. Swami will not like it. So what, what happens to the body? Even if I become sick and I die, doesn't matter. I will take a cold shower in spite of the fever and I will go serve. So I started washing my clothes. I put my hand on the water. It was so cold. It pained the nerves of my hand. Then I finished washing and then put my hand again. The bucket was full. Then I pulled out because the water that was coming out of the pipe was steaming hot. The entire bucket was steaming hot. I could not believe it. I took the shower, came back. And that day Swami was leaving. Every day he would go to talk to Thirmalachar. But he came straight to me, took my hand. He said, did it hurt too much this morning? And then he asked me, kya pas kia? What have you passed? I said, nothing, Swami. So, but the point is, in that one gesture, Swami proved to me that he is the inner resident. He knows everything because in the Bhagavad Gita, he has said, for those devotees, who have surrendered to me that I am the only refuge. It is my responsibility. I will take care of their worldly need and spiritual needs. So it, it is such a deep feeling with gratitude. And this and Swami has consistently done this. And I'm I'm absolutely positive he has done it for all his devotees. We just have to open our eyes and see it, open our hearts and feel it open our ears and hear it. So this was the first experience. The second experience, it happened in 1982 when we visited Swami. We had two more days to go. And I was not happy that I'm not practicing Swami's teachings as much as I should. So I feel I would like to practice at least one teaching. And those days, uh, either in the public discourses or in private interviews, Swami was saying, keep your thought, word, and deed one, one pointed. So only the person who thinks what he speaks, what he thinks, and he does what he says can be called a true devotee of God. So I said, um, I think I can practice it because all other teachings, love all, I cannot do it, serve all, I cannot do it. At least for two days, let me practice thought, word, and deed. This thought came, this inspiration came while I was in the South Indian canteen. 
So as soon as I walk, 30 seconds have passed. See, whenever you take a resolve, we say man proposes, God disposes. Actually, I say when man proposes, God exposes. 30 seconds, a senior devotee who is very, very close to Swami, who takes care of things for Swami, he stopped me. We were doing something. He suddenly asked me, how did Swami know about this thing, what we are doing? That was his question. My instant thought was, are you a dummy? God is omnipresent. Swami knows everything. But I didn't speak that thought. I, I ignored as if I didn't hear his question. Because I didn't want to offend some senior devotee. He himself is asking this question. But he wouldn't leave me alone. He just asked me, how did Swami know? Then I said, I didn't know or somebody must have told. Immediately, I knew I have failed in my resolve. That whole night, I couldn't sleep. Next morning, I said, if Swami calls me for an interview, I have to somehow to escape because I'm, I am ashamed of myself. Even this little teaching, I could not practice. So I hid behind a pillar. Swami came behind the pillar. He said, why are you hiding? Come for an interview. Then I sat in a corner. Swami said, why are you sitting? Come and sit in the front. And then went into the interview. Then he would talk to the people first and then take. That day he changed the thing. He said, you, you, you from California, you go first. Then I said, I'm going to keep my mind blank. That Swami will not ask me this question. I'll be embarrassed. Then Swami asked, where is God? I said, in the heart. Swami said, zero marks. Then he again asked, where is God? I said, he's everywhere. Then Swami said, how do you know? I said, I don't know. Then he said, why are you saying something you don't know? I said, I, that is my belief. Then Swami said, if that is your belief, do you want an experience? Then Swami said, yesterday, when that man came and asked you, how did Swami know? What was your first thought? Your first thought was, Swami is God. He knows everything. Why did you lie? Why didn't you tell your experience? No honors. Whenever anybody asks, who is Swami? Tell your experience that Swami is God. So that's all I have to share today. So Brother Shankar, that is truly amazing. The love and compassion of Mother Sai making the cold water warm enough for you to take your bath and then showing you his om omnipresence his power his glory so very beautifully you put it so simply i'm listening like a little child to a teacher and you're taking us along the journey so we are experiencing what you have experienced thank you so much brother so, You're most welcome. I want to come back to the question of I am God. I am not different from God. I am Sachit Ananda. Yes. Truth, consciousness, and bliss, fear, grief, and anxiety can never affect me. Many devotees, when you tell them to affirm this statement, I am God, many are hesitant to do it. Yes. How can I be God? 
I do wrong things, I tell little lies. How can I be Swami when Swami is so full of love? He is absolutely the embodiment of purity, of truth, of love, of kindness. And I have such a long way to go to achieve that. Yes. So when I chant, I am God, how am I reconciling that with my current belief system and my current actions? Please share. Very good question. Uh, <clears throat> I will share with you an experience uh, which I was not planning to share, but you have guided me into that today, precisely addressing this concept. First of all, what Swami taught me is, He said, make me part of your life. Anything you do. He said, nothing you do is going to shock because I have separated myself from myself and become all of you. And I am now attracting you to back to me. The moment my presence is there, you cannot do anything wrong. See, when you are sick, you go to the doctor. You cannot say, let me become reasonably well, I'll go to the doctor. He says, don't think you are a sinner. You are God all the time. And come to me. I am part and parcel of you in every action. Do not think this is worldly work. Do not think this is uh, godly work. Whatever you, you experience, even worldly pleasures, offer it to me. When it comes to me, it will get sanctified. You will lose interest in that. So the experience I have is one Guru Purnima. Swami asked me, chant the Guru Mantra. Guru Brahma, Guru Vishnu, Guru Devo Maheshwara, Guru Akshat Parabrahma, Tasmai Sri Guru Venamaha. I chanted. And Swami said, what is the meaning? I said, Swami, I, because many times Swami will give this course and then call me for an interview and quiz me whether I listen properly. And then he'll guide me. So I said, Swami, this says Guru is Brahma, Guru is Vishnu, uh, Guru is Shiva, and Guru is everything. So I offer my salutation. Then Swami said, what kind of translation is that? You're repeating the shloka back again to me. What is the real significance? Why is Brahma the Guru? Why is Vishnu the Guru? Why is Shiva the Guru? Why? And then I said, Swami, I don't know. Then Swami said, because many, many, as soon as the first time I, when I met, physically met Swami, Swami had told me, there is nobody to guide you. So I myself have decided to guide you. I didn't realize the fortune the avatar is saying, I have taken upon myself to guide. And of course, the proof is when I was 19 years old, when I didn't know, he guided and set the life on course. He gave me the commandments, what I should do. Then I remembered that. So Swami said, Brahm, God is, Brahma is Guru because he puts the seed of desire for liberation in you. Don't think Brahma is the creator who is creating you. He is the one who puts the seed of desire for liberation. 
Vishnu is Guru because he protects that desire for liberation from any other worldly temptation. And Shiva is the Guru because a time comes. Even the desire for liberation has to go. Only then you will be liberated. So Shiva removes that desire also. That is why they are your own very self. Then Swami said that. And in 2014, when Swami has transitioned on, I had a dream. Swami came in my dream and said, Do you remember the Guru Stotra I made you chant? I said, Yes, Swami. Do you remember the meaning I gave? I said, Yes, Swami. But Swami said, Today I'm going to give you a new Guru Mantra. Tell me, where is this Guru? You say Guru is Brahma. Then I, I told him the meaning what Swami said in my dream that Guru is Brahma, he creates. Where is this Guru? He said, Guru is not external. Guru is in you. You think Swami's form is Guru. No, Guru is within you. So today onwards, because it is you that is the Guru, your higher self. So today onwards, chant the new mantra. He said, Aham Brahma, Aham Vishnu, Aham Devo Maheshwara, Aham Sakshat Parabrahma, Aham Eva, Aham Asmi. Exactly what you are telling. Swami said, now onwards chant, I am Brahma. As Brahma, I create this desire of liberation in me. I am Vishnu. As Vishnu, I am protecting it against all temptation. I am Shiva. As Shiva, I finally give up that desire also. I am the Supreme Consciousness. I am that I am. That's all, brother. Brother Shankar, so beautifully expressed, so very, very simply you put it. My God, it's, it's, it's really, really beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that very sometimes complex concept. You brought it and put it to us in such a simple way that even a child can understand. No, I didn't put it. This is what I was told. I'm sharing it. Mm. Wonderful. So I want to go back to the avatar concept. You, you said the difference between an avatar and the other saints and sages is that we have or they have to make effort, sadhana, spiritual practice, right. yes, to attain self-realization. But when an avatar comes, it is the omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent consciousness descending so that we can ascend. Yes. And from that perspective, then how lucky, how lucky we are exactly. to be walking the very earth that the avatar walks, to have been selected by him. Please yes. share a little bit of how fortunate we are to be in a physical form when this omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent consciousness takes a form and has kinship with us. <clears throat> See, the avatar is extremely compassionate. See, we ordinary mortals start uh, finding fault with others. Right? Every time we look, and even we devotees, I'm guilty that 
people are not following Swami's teachings. We never ask ourselves, am I following Swami's teachings? That's always the last priority. See, it's in the case of an avatar, he is the ultimate, but he, that avatar, the descent is, it comes down to our level to help us. So when he looks at us, it's extraordinary compassion. So when he says, Prema Swarupalara, Atma Swarupalara, he means it. He doesn't see a Faiz Muhammad. He doesn't see a Shankar. He sees himself. He sees himself. That is his experience. And his experience is that he is the inner resident. And he says, this can be your experience if you follow my path. If you believe my word. If you offer my heart to me. And living with him is a transformation. He is teaching us all the time. 1984, we went as to spend five weeks with him. Swami was, and then that's the time the uh, Summer Olympics were happening in Los Angeles. So we chose that time to go to Prashantarayam. So when I landed in India, my brother-in-law said, you are the most foolish person in the whole world. When the entire world is going towards Los Angeles, you have come to go to an unknown village, Puttaparthi in Andhra Pradesh, to see this so-called miracle man. Then I went to, we went and saw Swami. Swami was happy to see us. And then he, that's the time he gave a series of discourses on Bhagavad Gita. And then one day, he called us for an interview. And then there are other things happened. So many beautiful meanings of certain shloka that Shirdi Baba said, Swami explained beautifully, but I won't have time for it. One day he called us for an interview. He sat at his lotus feet. And then Swami, his voice became different. And he chanted, Sahasra Sisha Purusha Sahasra Sahasrapa with a booming voice in the interview room. And I thought he, he was growing bigger and bigger, like the cosmic Shiva. And then he said, I have a thousand heads, I have a thousand eyes, I have a thousand ears, I have a thousand feet. I know everything you do. Nothing you do surprises me. I am behind you, besides you, around you, inside you. I am the inner resident of your heart. I am in your uh, living room. I am in your dining room. I am in your kitchen. I am in your bathroom. I am in, I am, I am in your bedroom. I am in your office room. I am with you when you are driving the car. I am everywhere. I know everything you do. I am watching you all the time. Remember this. Live according to my principles. Do not fritter this chance away. Then I started shivering. Swami said, I know everything about you. Do you want me to give you one example? Then Swami said a week ago, that time I was teaching at the University of California, Irvine. At 7.30 evening, while you are teaching, you got 
a severe stomach pain, lower abdomen. Immediately you stopped your talk, you told the students to do something, you came outside and you said, cried out, Swami, I'm having this pain. Didn't you do that? In an instant, didn't that pain disappear? Do you think if I was in Puttaparthi, I had enough time to come and heal you? You were healed instantly because I was in your heart. I am with you all the time. So like this, so many experiences he has given. And then after this, I was shivering. I was shivering. The next day Swami called. I didn't sleep whole night because this was too magnificent an experience. Then Swami said, why is your hand shaking? Why are you shivering? Swami said, I said, Swami, you told such stupendous truths about yourself. I literally felt I saw you as this magnificent, huge form. So I have this fear in my heart. Then Swami said, why should you have fear? If you're truthful, if you're truth, there should be no fear. Only if you embrace falsehood, there is fear. Then Swami gave an instruction. And Swami asked, when are you coming back? I said, Swami, whenever you tell. Then Swami thought, this was August 1984. Swami said, come for birthday. I thought Swami wanted us to come for birthday within three months. Swami said, no, no, not in three months. After 14 months, come. I said, Swami, how can we be away from you for 14 months? Swami said, I have given you a lot of grace. I've given you a lot of teachings. It's time to introspect and practice Swami's teachings. Otherwise, if you keep on eating too much, it'll cause indigestion. So don't come back for 14 months. Come for 60th birthday. And Swami said one more thing. When you go back, see in America, it's bhajan, bojan and getting together. When you go back, don't talk to anyone. Don't socialize with anyone. Don't answer phone calls. Don't gossip. You may attend Sai functions. Go two minutes before, leave two minutes after. You will not talk to anyone. I said, Swami, they will think, they will be anxious to know what, what we experience about Swami. The Swami said, I know. But are you going to follow my agna, my command or their desires? Then, if they ask you, why are you behaving like that? Tell them, it is the command of Sai. So we came back, cut off everything, and we, we decided, if you are not going to talk to anyone, we don't even need to watch TV, we don't need to read newspapers. It was not easy. 14 months, we read Sai literature. We kept recollecting what Swami said and anxiously waiting for him. So this is just a sample of how Swami will guide us. But now I feel I have not practiced this teaching enough. I have not loved him enough. I have not made him proud of me enough. I have failed in so many occasions. But still, I'm so grateful that he's still kind and guiding. Thank you, Brother Shankar. So much of love and compassion come through your words and your experiences. 
I'm sure that every listener, every viewer is experiencing Swami as you speak, as his divine instrument. Thank you so much for sharing. So I want to go back to a comment that you made a little bit before, where you said that God is everywhere. He is in everything. So even as we progress, we are all works in progress towards that inner realization that I am God, I am not different from God. Yes. We make mistakes, we continue to do little wrong things. But you said if somebody has a bad habit of smoking or consuming alcohol, even in that wrong thing, in that bad thing, exactly. offer it to God. Yes. Yes? Yes. Make him a partner in crime, literally. <laughs> Make him a partner in crime. And the crime will disappear. Achha. That's, a, I think, very, very important because, you know, many people say, I remember when I first joined the organization, uh, one or two devotees will say, Brother Fais, if you eat meat, you should not come to the center. And I said, how am I going to give it up if I don't come to the center? That is where exactly. I'll get the courage and the strength and the good company. Exactly. See? So it's such an important point you made to put God in everything, even the ones you believe is wrong or evil or bad. Yes. Because he yes. is in the good, the bad, exactly. the ugly, the everything. Yes. Yes. So, so very beautiful. So, Brother Shankar, this interview is taking on the energy that Swami wants it, as we discussed before. Yeah, exactly. I'm totally at your disposal. So, a sincere person comes to you. He said, Brother Shankar, you have stated emphatically that you have met God. You have experienced God to some extent, that God really exists. Exactly. But I do not believe in God. I'm an atheist. But I, I want to hear from you sincerely. I'm asking you this sincere question. Can you prove to me from your experience that God really exists? How will you respond? Okay. Do you exist? I will ask you. And then what answer he will give? He will say, I exist. The, the proof that God exists comes from I exist. And who is this I? That is God. Because logically, suppose people say, what is the cause of creation? Okay. Suppose we say, uh, uh, God created through a word or womb. Scientists, what do they say? Big Bang happened. Then if you ask the scientists, why did Big Bang happen? They don't know. What was before Big Bang? They don't know. And Advaitins say, this is all Maya, illusion. And Vishishta Advaitins will say, this is all play of God. So intellectually, we can never find God exists. The fact there is only one proof God exists is that I exist. And to go beyond, who is this I? That's what it comes down to. Ramana Maharishi is, who am I? 
which Swami says, first find out who you are. Don't waste your time trying to find out who is Sai Baba, who is God. The fact that there is a power, we are breathing. And as soon as the breathing stops, where are we? If you think we are the physical body, there's nothing. It disappears. Someone else is controlling us. And then we think we are the mind. In deep sleep, what happens to the mind and intellect? It's gone. See, we focus so much attention on the wakeful state. We totally ignore dream. We totally ignore deep sleep. But the dream has a wealth of knowledge, wisdom to give us. Deep sleep has a greater wisdom. And then Swami talks about pragna, constant integrated awareness is to go beyond. So instead of intellectually asking whether God exists, first thing I will tell him, find out, do you ex exist? Yes, I do exist. What is the purpose of my existence? Ask. You will not find the answer. Then find out that there is a source of love within. You love yourself. Everybody loves themselves. And expand that love towards others. So in this context, can I take a few more minutes to explain how to discover God? Swami has told us many times that how to live the life. Swami says, life is a game, play it. Life is a challenge, meet it. Life is a dream, realize it. Correct? But what is this life? How should we enjoy this game of life as children, innocent children? How, how do we enjoy, how do we live life now? like fighting with each other, like business or spiritual organizations or family, all the time, conflict, conflict. I have to win. That is not the way to lead life. Why we are not able to lead that life? That's why Swami gave, first thing we should have, Papa Bhiti, fear of sin. When we don't have fear of sin, we can never understand who God is. And what is sin? Sin is, anytime we are not in the awareness of our highest, purest existence, that is a sin. Sin is not smoking. Sin is not meeting, eating meat. Sin is, these are all uh, worldly manifestations of the lack of awareness, of the ignorance that we are supreme consciousness. We are pure consciousness. The moment we lapse from that, we are sinning. Swami said, become like a child. So develop fear of sin. The next one is Sanganiti, which is service to society. We cannot experience God unless we develop love for our fellow beings. That's why Swami has given all these three activities, Karma Yoga, Bhakti Yoga, and Jnana Yoga. So we have to feel empathy for others. The journey has to go from I, that is uh, morality in individuality, fear of sin. Morality in society is service to society. And then the third one is morality in spirituality, Deva Preeti, love of God. Only when we love everybody, we are truly loving God and we will, the circle will complete. Then we say the journey is I, he, we, then suddenly realizes that I 
I, we, he, that he is I. That's when the aham eva aham asmi, I am I. Otherwise, it becomes an empty question. Because if that person who asked that question is extremely sincere, this moment God will reveal to him. Like Swami said, you say God is nowhere. Take the word nowhere and split it. Now, here. The moment we recognize our true self, God is there. Brother Shankar, thank you very much for that very beautiful explanation. And it, it leads me to another question. Swami says we must live in the world, but we should not allow the world to live in us. Exactly. And one of his quotations is, let the wave of memory, the yes. storm of desire, yes. the beautiful. of emotion yes. Yes. pass through the system without yes. affecting your equanimity. Yes. So share with us from your understanding and experience, how can the spiritual aspirant navigate the world in such a way that the world does not get into us? Beautiful. Both mind and word. Beautiful question. Uh, I don't know whether I'll be able to do justice with the answer. But I will tell you an instance. I'm going to, uh, I don't know how much time I have. So I want to share one experience and, and then add an explanation to that. One day, uh, in the interview, Swami uh, said, Shankar, will you do something? Will, I, will you do something if I ask you? I said, yes, Swami. Then Swami said, where is your uncle? This is a standard question Swami will ask because uh, every trip somebody, some devotee will become my uncle. This is how Swami, to answer your question, he brings us together. We are all one. So uh, I said somebody else. Swami said, no, 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 another uncle. So this was a resident of Prashantaranyam. I said, Swami, he is doing well. Swami said, no, 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 he is not doing well. I want to convey a message to him. Will you go and tell him? I said, very easy. He wants me to convey a message to him. I will do it. He'll be very happy. So I said, yes, Swami, enthusiastically. Swami said, be sure before you tell me, yes, I'm going to give you a, a four-part message. Will you convey to him? I said, yes, Swami. Then Swami said, the first message is, go and tell him he is full of anger. I said, my God, how can I tell him? He is an angry man. and You never want to tell an angry person he is angry. I said, I, my enthusiasm went up. And second said, go and tell him uh, he is full of ego. Then I am telling, no, no, I cannot tell this to him. Even if God tells me to this, I am not going to tell him. I am thinking in my mind. Then the third message is, tell him that he is hurting all the devotees. Oh my God, how can I tell him? He, can, he may hurt me if I tell him that. Then the fourth message you tell Swami said, he's not keeping proper accounts. 
Swami is not happy. Go tell him. I decided I am not going to tell him. Next day I am going to leave. So I decided I am going to avoid him at all costs. And then next trip when I come, I will tell Swami I couldn't meet him. So in the inner interview, outer interview room, we were about to be giving Gurbuti. Swami said, did you remember what I told you? I said, yes, Swami. Swami said, repeat it. I want to know that you got it right. He said, go and tell him. So I came out. Uh, Arti was over. I came out of the Prashantalan campus. I saw him on the left. I ran to the right. Because I am not going to tell him this. Afternoon, I came for Darshan. Swami came early. And then he came out and called me. Come. Swami said, did you tell him? I kept quiet. Did you see him? I kept quiet. Then Swami, then only Swami and I, then Swami was reading letters, I was sitting next to him. I said, Swami, I asked him, sir, what is it? Swami, why do you want me to tell him? If you tell him, it will be more effective because he won't listen to me. Why are you asking me to tell him? Swami says, no, 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 no. If I tell him, he will get upset. He will get hurt. He will lose his devotion. If you tell him, he will only get upset with you, but his devotion will not be lost. No, I cannot tell him. You have to tell him. Then I didn't know what to do. Then I was waiting. And then Swami said, after we were keeping quiet, then Swami said, go out now. Your uncle is sitting in the veranda where you sit. Go now and tell him. So I went to the veranda and he took my hand. Shankarji, I am so happy to see you. I have an intuitive feeling that there is a message for me from Swami. Please go ahead. Then I said, why don't we wait until Bhajan is over? No, 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 I have to hear now. He said, right now, uh, this volunteer here will not allow us to talk. The volunteer said, no, 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 I want to hear what Swami said. Go ahead, tell. And all the other devotees joined. I said, let's not do it here. Let's go to the side. So we went to the side and everybody is hearing. Then I told him, my dear friend, this is not my idea. What I'm going to tell you, this was a command of Sai. Please don't mistake me. And he was holding my hand. And then first Swami said, you're full of anger. He pressed his hand. It hurt me. Second message, I said, Swami said, you're, you're full of ego. He, he hurt me more because he is getting excited. Third thing, I, Swami said, you're hurting devotees and you're not keeping proper accounts. All the other people who are listening ran away because they were wondering what's going to happen to me giving this kind of message. The next instant, something amazing happened. He had tears flowing down his face. He embraced me. He said, do you know, Swami has not even looked at me and talked to me for past five years. Do you know what this message means to me? My Lord thinks about me, thinks about my welfare, thinks about my evolution. I'm so happy you told me. Then, then he went away immediately. Then I went and sat. Swami opened the door and looked at me. Oh, with sign, have you informed him? I said, I have informed him, Swami. Then this gentleman came into the very front. He had a paper, the accounts or whatever Swami wanted. And Swami came out as a Bangaru, how are you? As if nothing happened. The point I am trying to make is, Swami 
we have to live together there is no individual life for us in that sense even desiring for liberation is selfishness like vivekananda said i'll be born a thousand times if i can help others or tad bodhisattvas or tadgadas means they want to be born as many times as possible our life is not independent so like this swami put me in touch with so many devotees so once i told swami swami why are you putting me in so many devotees as well as strangers even in an airport i will meet somebody i asked him why are you doing this swami swami said it is not my fault it is your prayer you wanted to experience advaita oneness do you think sitting in a room closing your eyes chanting i am god i am god aham brahmasmi you are going to experience advaita remember this moment onwards anybody who comes in contact with you it is me anybody who insults you it is me anybody who appreciates you it is me develop that awareness the same prayer which it taught me see me in every other being so this is how he taught me but i am not living that but at least i have an aspiration to look forward to to answer your question thank you very much brother shankar very mind opening thought provoking answer thank you very much for sharing and again it leads me to another observation and question <clears throat> swami says unity will lead to purity and purity yes. will lead to divinity unity is very very important in every aspect of our lives you've spoken earlier about the unity of thought word and word deed and deed. yes to be a person of good <clears throat> character swami once said about the activities in trinidad and tobago he said there is a lot of operation but no cooperation, cooperation. yes unity is lacking when we look at our sai family across the world today as well many people have stated that there is disunity there is fragmentation there is separateness <clears throat> why is swami allowing it but the question i want to pose to you is about disunity can you share a little bit about what really is this unity and how it should manifest one in the individual and in our relationships with the sai family and the world at large very tough question i will attempt to answer that yes purity unity divinity but there is a foundation like when you build a house there is a foundation you never see correct first floor is purity second floor is unity third floor is divinity but what is this foundation humility when there is no humility it is not possible to develop purity when there is no purity unity is out of question when there is no unity there is no divinity the humility how does humility come the humility is 
like Swami says, the bottom most is self-confidence. Self-confidence, self-satisfaction, self-sacrifice, self-realization. Self-confidence is humility. Self-satisfaction is purity. Self-sacrifice is unity. And self-realization is divinity. But it is not self-confidence of the ego. Confidence in the self. Confidence in the highest self. Confidence that God is the doer. As Sai devotees, we have failed to recognize the Sai is the doer. If we don't feel that, live that, and develop humility, that you are the doer, I am an instrument, it will not be possible for us to go to the next stage of purity. So, this is an open. Swami is, I, I told you before, man proposes, God exposes. We were all thinking, Sai is the highest avatar and we are so fortunate to be. Swami said, not so fast, my dear children. Let me expose you where you are. You don't have self-confidence. You don't have confidence in your highest innermost self. You are still ego beast. You think that I am the doer. I'm going to fix things. That's why you have no purity. I think that's the reason it's happening. Swami is exposing us to ourselves where we stand. And it is for good in the long run. It is painful. I am deeply pained. But you cannot artificially plaster humility purity and unity to project divinity. It has to be genuine, bottom-up. And everyone has to do it. We are all change agents. And first thing is, we don't talk ill of anyone. Second thing is, we are genuine. Third thing is, we are full of love. We are focused only on the Sai principle in everyone. Does that make any sense to you, Brother Feist? Very, very much so. Very, very enlightening. Very simply put, this unity. So, Brother Shankar, you've been to Prashanti Nilayam on a number of occasions. There are many who have said, just walking through the gates of Prashanti Nilayam, they walk into a different dimension. They feel a different right. energy of love, of peace, yes. of unity, of yes. togetherness. Why is it important for us as fellow believers and followers of Swami to remain connected physically to you see, as long as we are a form, we have, we can only worship another form. Only when we become the self, the formless God, when we transcend, when we have gone from the stage of humility, purity, unity to divinity, then we don't need to. So as long as we have this limitedness in us, 
As long as I have desire for food, as long as I yearn for sleep, as long as I worry about my job, my family, we have to express our supreme gratitude to Bhagwan and the holy place where he was born. He lived his entire life. He did perform the miracles of divine love to transform so many devotees. It is the most precious thing. In fact, Swami, as I told you, Swami said, I myself have decided to guide you. At that time, he said, Prashantilam is your home. So this will be my home as long as I am aware of my body. When I am not aware of my body, when I am transcended body consciousness, <clears throat> I will do whatever God wills me to do. He may place me in Prashantanayam, he place me somewhere else. Until then, I, I am a traitor if I don't recognize the divinity and the sanctity of Prashantanayam. But many are also saying that the true Prashantinilium is in your heart. Exactly. But they are saying it lip service. If they truly say from the heart, there will be no animosity. There will be humility. There will be purity. There will be unity. If they are saying from that viewpoint, absolutely, I agree with them. I bow my head to them. But you are as a small boy, Swami wrote the play, do people practice what they preach? That is the sign. If you truly practice what you preach, nobody can question anybody. When there is thought, word and deed is not united, their words have no value whatsoever and should be discarded and ignored. So, Brother Shankar, when you look even at the physical Prashanti Nilayam, the avatar's feet yes. has traversed it many, many times. It took exactly. birth in Prashanti Nilayam. All the water projects, the service projects, yes. the medical colleges, the schools, yes. the Narayan Seva emanated from Prashanti Nilayam. The place itself is associated yes. with divinity, with divine energy. Yes. And so even from that perspective, it is important to remain connected to the physical place. Yes. Because of the tremendous association mm -hmm. that God himself walked that particular hallowed Exactly. Road. Exactly. As long as we are breathing, as long as we are aware of our body consciousness, we should revere Prashantanamu. Otherwise, we are traitors to Bhagwan and the grace and love we receive from So, Brother Shankar, another question. Why did you join the Sri Satyasai Global Council after having been a member of the other entity? The answer is very simple. Uh, first of all, Swami told me, you are answerable only to me, nobody else, number one. And he said, I will myself personally guide you how the center should be conducted. Do not worry about what anybody says, number one. Unity is most important. I know Swami loves unity. 
like said, even though you don't have true unity, at least pretend, as people quote, pretend, uh, tend, and end. You have to start visualizing. That is pretend. So we have to have unity. That's very, very simple. So it was a no-brainer. So we were part of the Global Council even before the Global Council was thought of. The only reason I waited because I was hoping against all hopes that people will unite. That this unnecessary decision should never be put to the devotees to make a decision. It should have never happened. So in your opinion, and from your understanding, how should it have been done? It is, uh, see, much river has flown down the Ganges. Well, I've been telling all along how first, all of us should have humility so that we don't create a conflict. All of us should have, us have purity so that we understand that there is difference of opinion, but we have to work together. And that should have been in our unity. But looking at it from a, a spiritual perspective, that everything is God, as we said in the beginning of the talk, that we are seeing an apparent disunity, fragmentation, yes. Yes. separateness. But in reality, it may not be so. It because... may be good. It may be good. Yes. But, but it has caused hurt to so many devotees. Which could which have is, been avoided. Which could have been avoided. That's all. We, we, Swami will tolerate anything, but never hurting his devotees. It's the greatest disservice as the members of an organization, office bearers, to cause hurt to devotees. Because we are the foremost servants. He will not be happy, even though it is his will. Everything is his will, but he has given us choices. Swami says, make a wise choice. So, Brother Shankar, from your understanding, your experience, your guidance, what do you see or envisage for the not-too-distant future? Swami's name and his message is going to spread all across with renewed vigor. See, only when you miss something, you will understand its value. So it's a temporary thing. We will all be united by Swami's 100th birthday. We will all joyfully celebrate. But we will even go beyond that. We will embrace all religions, all castes, all races as one, the way Swami would want us to do. It will happen. It will certainly happen. It has to happen because that is the will of sign. Ultimately. I can't hear your audio. It seems then from what you are saying that whatever is happening, the apparent disunity yes. and fragmentation, it's all good. Yes, it's it is all leading. good. It's yes. all leading to that stage yes. and that time frame where 
unity, purity, divinity will be present and everyone will live in yes. harmony in a yes. state of togetherness and peace. They will absolutely and we are going to live to see it. So, Brother Shankar, this particular question that I'm going to ask, when I ask many of our guests, they always tell me, Brother Faiz, this is a loaded question. This is a difficult question. I don't know how to answer this. Okay. But Most likely, I may not know either. Okay. <laughs> so, let me set a little bit of the background and then ask you the question because I think it is an important question in the context of yes. what we have discussed about Swami's mission yes. of creating a better society, a more loving, yes. value-based society. So when you look around in the society today, using an example, there is so much of discord, disunity, disharmony in the individual, in the family, in the society, yes. in the nation. This pandemic that has come has brought about so much of sadness, misery, debt, economic yes. depression, um, depression also in individuals. Families have been uh, separated, have been uh, destroyed because <clears throat> of having to now adjust lifestyles. Yes. So against that background and from your experience, what can each person do? What can each person contribute to create a better society, a loving society, a more value-based society? Let me attempt to answer that. So let me answer to myself, not to anybody else. And you may find it useful. Let me ask myself, what will I do in this situation? There is so much suffering. And even to go to help people, you will not be allowed because of the fear factor and you will become a nuisance trying to help somebody you will be spreading the disease. Right? So first and foremost, we have to have the faith that there is a God who has created everything he knows his job. He doesn't need advice from us. So first and foremost, I should convince myself that this is the will of God. And for us, Sai is God. So this is the will of Sai. I'll convince myself. Second, when so much suffering happens, what can I do? I will pray. Like Samastha Loka Sukino Let all the beings and all the words be, have peace. I have to pray. And you know something very interesting? Even in medical science, the placebo effect, 30% of the cure has nothing to do with medicine. You have heard about it, right? They have done scientific experiments. People are told, I'm giving you medicine. They have given colored water. They have cured. 30% is a large percentage. If we have purity and faith, this placebo effect could be nice. Faith can heal everything. Our own faith in divinity, our own faith in ourselves 
when we pray for others, it will manifest. Because the, the greatest vaccine for COVID is God's name. The greatest uh, uh, medicine against the COVID-19 is faith in God. This is considered outdated, but we have not really understood because where did this world come from? It came from the subtle world. Where did the subtle world come from? It came from the causal world. See, this COVID did not happen all by itself magically. Yet disease comes in the body. It comes because of thoughts. It comes because of irregular breathing. It comes because the type of food we eat. It, it comes because of type of thoughts we have. We have all contributed to this due to our greed, due to our selfish desires. I cannot change anybody, but I have to keep my heart pure because God wants to do so many miracles through everyone. We just have to become worthy instruments. In a second, this disease will go away if God wills it. And our prayer can make it happen. So I will pray. And then when I am allowed to do service, I would like to be helpful. That's the third aspect. I would like to know more about it. I would like to educate the people and like to help us together. So for that, we should not be fighting against each other or competing against each other. So that's why I will address myself in this situation. But first and fundamental, most important, faith that God is everything. Second is, I will pray for the welfare of everyone. Brother P.V. Shankar, the Sri Satya Sai Global Council, expresses gratitude and appreciation to you, sir, for taking the time to share your personal journey your transformation and your perspective based on the teachings of Bhagwan Sri Satya Sai Baba. May Bhagwan Sri Satya Sai Baba continue to bless you and guide you. May you continue to be a loving instrument in His divine mission. Jai Sai Ram. Thank you so much, Faiz. I am grateful to all of you to have the patience to listen to me. Jai Sai Baba.